Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Ask the Operator. We took a break during the summertime, and we are now back with new episodes and new guests. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Oliver Lamb, Head Sports Boot Controller at Canby. Hi, Oliver. Thanks for being with us. Hey, hey, Sylvia. Happy to be here. Oliver, I'm actually very curious. What's a head sports boot controller? What are the main tasks of your job? Uh, yeah, good good question, and hopefully I can explain myself pretty clearly. But I guess it's the kind of role that maybe doesn't exist in in your standard operators or um, B2C, and it's something that really is necessary in, in a B2B company. So apart from integrity, which we're going to talk about today, can be like any other bookmaker, we'll have our trading and, and risk management departments who are there running the day-to-day sports book. Whereas I would have oversight over over both of those functions, ensuring that it's working efficiently, not just internally, but also because we're providing our service to around 30 operators worldwide, ensuring that what we're doing is in line with their expectations and also in line with expectations of, of regulators around the world. So, I mean, that's a big part of my role, really. Speaking to the operators, ensuring they're satisfied, but primarily really it's looking nowadays at, at the regulations and seeing that we're offering the right product in certain jurisdictions. Right. And Escambi is one of our affiliates member. At How do you integrate the integrity part in your job? Yeah, so obviously we are providing betting on, on thousands of events on a regular day and, and we're monitoring the global betting markets, but also the bets that we take from an integrity angle. And that's part of the service we provide to our operators. We're not providing not just the odds and risk management, but also integrity services. So every bet that, that's placed on our platform with our operators, a screen from an integrity perspective, and my team, Sportsbook Control, they'll be working 24-7, ensuring that if any cases of potential match fixing are uncovered, they're escalated quickly and efficiently to our operators, but also, of course, to IBIA as well and other, other regulatory agencies globally. You mentioned Canby as a B2B provider, and I'm actually curious, where does it sit in a wider sports betting ecosystem? Yeah, sure. So in kind of one line, we provide odds and risk management services to, to regulated bookmakers globally. Uh, so that can be bookmakers based in the US, in Latin America, Colombia, for example, in Europe, and all the way down to, to Australia, we have operator partners. Now, nearly all bookmakers will use some form of B2B supplier for their odds. I mean, for example, a European bookmaker who is typically strong pricing up soccer or tennis may outsource some of their odd services for US sports to a B2B company. Or another bookmaker may wish to do all pre-match betting in-house themselves and leave the live betting side of things to to provide. They do this because, I mean, trading, it's it's very resource heavy. I mean, can we, we've got over 300 people working on the on the trading platform alone. And yeah, to, to not just to power it daily, but also to develop it. We've got another 300 developers as well looking at it. So it can be a, a pricey a pricey thing to run. And that's why a lot of bookmakers outsource parts or all of it. And I guess that's the difference that can be as uh, compared to other providers. We do the full solution. So all of the odds and all the risk management we will do for all sports 24-7. Yeah. And I think the key difference of what we do compared to just providing the odds, it's it's the risk management side of things too. So as well as putting the odds up, we'll be looking and processing all the bets that are placed and analyzing them for a profitability and, as I said, integrity perspective as well. And I mean, we think this model works most efficiently because, I mean, you, 
odds and risk go hand in hand. I mean, your odds can only be so accurate if you're not seeing the bets at the same time as well. So yeah, it's a model that we think works and it seems to be serving us well. Right. You mentioned several markets. So I'm curious to know from a campus perspective, where do you think the new market opportunities are? Yeah, I mean, right now we've got a big focus on the US. So for anyone who's not aware, in 2018, New Jersey was the first market outside of Nevada where you could place online bets uh, on sports betting. And since then, each state has had the opportunity, if they wish, to regulate sports betting. So right now, over the past couple of years, we've gone from just, just being in New Jersey, where we took the first uh, legal online wager there. We're now in, I think, 13 US regulations uh, providing sports betting. And, you know, in, in, in three, four years, there could be 30 or more states um, up and running uh, as well. So that's where a big part of the focus is. And I think outside of the US, there's, there, there are obviously emerging opportunities as well. I mean, people are looking to, to Latin America. Um, Colombia has implemented a, a pretty successful regulated market a few years ago, and it looks like Argentina, potentially Brazil, maybe looking to do that as well. And you never quite know where things might pop up soon as well. Again, I mean, there's talk occasionally of India or Japan regulating and, and closer to home as well. I mean, the Netherlands and Germany are, uh, are looking to implement a, a regulatory framework. So there's things popping up all over the place and uh, luckily can be involved in, in lots of these uh, new emerging areas. Right. But since we are living in uh, unprecedented times, how has the COVID-19 crisis impacted the development of new uh, market opportunities? It's, it's been interesting, actually. I mean, particularly in the US, there's an argument to say that it's actually accelerated things. Obviously, very short term, it might have slowed things down as, as regulators and governments have been looking to just obviously deal with the day-to-day crisis almost rather than looking ahead at implementing sports betting regulation. But one key thing around regulated uh, sports betting markets is that as well as providing consumer protections, it's a way of raising taxes. If you don't regulate your market, generally people within your country will be betting, but betting with companies based in other countries. Uh, whereas if you regulate it, you can you can tax the profits on those on those bookmakers. And obviously after COVID, I think a lot of government agencies are going to have to fill some pretty big budget holes. And one area they can look at is is should they implement potentially um, a sports betting regulatory framework. So I think that's one of the things that's starting now to to maybe accelerate things, particularly in the US. I mean, they have, they have each state runs its own budget and you can see that certain states are, are now maybe uh, we thought we might have been regulating in a, in a couple of years, are potentially looking to do things uh, much more quickly than expected. So yeah, I'd say it's probably generally it's sped things up, I'd say, in terms of the rollout of regulation globally. Right. And what would be the next market that it's probably uh, going to be regulated soon that could be the new uh, business opportunity for Cambi and for the uh, water industry in general? I mean, outside the US, there's a few unknowns, as I said earlier on. I mean, Latin American countries are, are looking at it, but you can never quite be sure when when something's going to roll out. I'd say closer to home, things that really are happening in a more concrete sense would be, I mentioned earlier on, Germany and, and the Netherlands. Um, Germany's been looking at regulating on a national level rather than on a regional level for a while now, and it seems that things are moving forwards there. So I believe Germany should be pretty soon, and probably Netherlands, I think, um, later next year as well would be putting out a fully regulated market as well. So I think uh, in terms of opportunities and, and the next, next stage of regulation, it's probably those, those Northern European countries, I think, would be, would be next to follow. Right. 
And you mentioned how COVID-19 has impacted the way sports betting regulation has developed in the last months in, in the US, for example. But looking at Cambi, how did you guys were impacted by the crisis and how are you adapting to the new normal? Uh, yeah, obviously, like any any company pretty much has been impacted by it. Obviously, this was a pretty unique scenario and Cambi, we've got Eight, eight offices worldwide. We're based in Philadelphia. We have offices in Europe. We have in, in Australia and in Manila and the Philippines as well. And what was interesting here was that even though it didn't all happen at the same time, pretty quickly after February, I mean, everybody globally was working from home. So I think obviously the first stage was making sure everyone was, was set up comfortable, had the right equipment, the right connection, and the communication channels were in place for us to work from home efficiently. Alongside that, as I say, because we're business to business, we had to communicate really heavily with our operators to let them know, firstly, that we're still there for them. We, we have no we have no problems. We're going to continue to provide services. And as things move forward, kind of keeping them updated around, you know, the daily outlook landscape, what we're going to provide each day. Because I guess the big difference has been that from the sports betting perspective was that pretty quickly from February to running into March, I mean, we've pretty much lost all major global sports until we were left in a situation really where you had pretty much, you know, table tennis and, and darts to offer with the main things as well as a bit of uh, Eastern European soccer. So I guess the big difference there was that, I mean, we've been offering these kind of sports, table tennis and darts for uh, for over a decade. So there was no... No surprise to us there in terms of uh, being ready to trade that. I guess the big difference was, I mean, it's never been the central pillar of our product, table tennis, say. Whereas we're in a situation where a lot of the global betting activity was focused on these um, pretty small table tennis tournaments. So I guess we had to really look at each individual event and tournament from a new perspective. I mean, we'd previously offered these kind of things, as I said, but not expecting significant activity whereas we had to make sure we had the right risk management set up to accept this kind of uh, elevated business so we kind of pretty quickly realized we had to set up like a daily offering call or meeting where we'd go through what we wanted to offer and make sure like I say we had the right setup from a risk management perspective so we could handle that kind of activity but also from an integrity perspective I mean We'll be offering the the right events and the right markets. As I say, this was pretty low-level sport. So we had to make sure that even though we, you know, operators everywhere were scrambling around trying to find as much product to offer, that we didn't sacrifice integrity at the same time. And we wanted to maintain a, a high-quality, clean offering as well as keeping the show on the road. So there were definitely a lot of challenges. But uh, yeah, after after a few weeks of trying to work out the best way of doing things, we had our setup ready to go. And uh, we've been working pretty well ever since. Right. And you actually said that risk management and odds go hand in hand. What was the biggest challenge for you when adapting risk management to these lower tournaments? I mean, you said that it was nothing new for you offering this kind of uh, bets. But the fact that um, all over a sudden these became the most popular sports, did that imply a change on the way you were assessing the risk? And did it imply a change from an integrity perspective from your side? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say to an extent. I mean, we, from one aspect, we, we didn't change the way it worked at all. I mean, we've always had a stance that if we don't believe in the integrity of an event, we don't offer it. And uh, we maintain that, that principle throughout. And, and still do uh, currently whereas I guess I mean 
there were so many new tournaments, new events taking place, and also kind of new new players that we maybe had never seen before. We had to make sure that you know we could offer things that we believe were okay, but at the same time, you know, we had the escalation channels ready to go in case we saw something strange as well. I mean, say previously we would have had a few traders in our organization maybe offering table tennis, and we had to train up a lot more of our staff, uh, you know, people who previously only offered maybe tennis instead of table tennis to make sure that they could offer these events for us. They understood how to price up and accept bets on, on these new sports um, and also understood, you know, our, our perspective from the integrity angle. That if they did see something, they had to raise a hand, let us know quickly and, and we could, you know, kick in our escalation routes and tell, tell you guys at IBA about it. Absolutely. And I would like to know how has the approach to integrity changed over time at, at Cambi? Because, I mean, obviously we have just spoke about it the last months, but integrity in sports betting, it's not a new issue. And for those who are in the industry, it's an issue that it has been on the table for more than a decade now. So I'm curious how the approach to integrity has evolved uh, over time at Cambi and, and what's Cambi's vision on integrity? Yeah, so it's always been front and center integrity for Canby, but I definitely say that the focus has grown. And I've been at Canby for the last five years, but in the sports betting industry for for around 18 years, I think now it was. And I'd say even even though everyone, I think, in the regulated industry has always been committed to integrity, I think what's changed has been kind of the, the collaboration, not just internally, but also externally. I think previously, If you saw a suspicious event, uh, you know, I'm talking more than 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't know who to tell, apart from telling maybe your line manager. You wouldn't have those channels where you could inform somebody like the IBAA or or a regulator who would then know to be able to inform law enforcement and the sports governing body who were organizing the events. Those networks just didn't exist. So I think a lot of things in the past fell between the cracks, uh, whereas now it's definitely a pretty, a pretty smooth operation in terms of the entire global network. And I think that's probably been the big thing changed in Canby in the last five years that we really have plugged ourselves into that integrity network so obviously doing things like joining the IBIA working much more closely with regulators we've made our integrity team 24-7 so that we're always covered and yeah making sure that we're always there ready to interact with whoever may ask us any questions if a regulator IBIA a sports governing body asks us around if we see any suspicious activity, we're ready to respond. And likewise, if we see something, we're ready to escalate it. So I'd say it's it's become a well-oiled machine. It's probably the big, uh, the big difference. Yeah, I mean, here at IBA, I think we can only echo what you just said about collaboration because it's uh, one of the uh, key pillars to ensure sports betting integrity and collaboration, especially among all the key stakeholders. So obviously, B2B providers, sports Uh, betting operators, regulators, and sports governing bodies. You have a first-hand experience in integrity in, in sports betting. I'm curious to know whether technology has played um, a role in improving the way collaboration has evolved over time. Yeah, definitely. I can say kind of internally, it's definitely helped us. I mean, obviously, it's helped us from a commercial in perspective where You know, we now have the technology to offer a much more um, wide range of, of betting opportunities, more live events each day, a better product to the consumer, but also in what we can do with data internally as well. I mean, we can run much more elaborate reports nowadays. We can have real-time alerts going off to let us know. I know in the past it was just, it was all done by the human eye. And if the trader got a feel something was weird, you know, he could escalate something, but it would take a certain amount of, of bets to be placed before a trader could physically see something strange was happening. 
now with algorithms we can see things happening after just you know two or three bets you can you can have an alert fired off within Canby to, to let you know that something potentially strange is happening. I think technology is helping us particularly uh, externally on the, the communication perspective. I mean, looking within IBAA, obviously, you've got a network of, of 30 operators, more or less, I would say, who are all sharing information in real time. In the past, that would have been 30 different trading floors, phoning each other up, trying to share information, you know, sending emails, um, individually to each other whereas now you've got a platform where you can find an alert and instantly 30 different trading organizations were would be notified they can look into it they can suspend betting you know within 10 minutes of an alert being created that there's already been significant activity i'd say um, in terms of an investigation and that kind of thing would have taken days in the past so i think definitely in terms of collaboration across the industry what's helped has been like the way we can communicate we can do it so much faster and more efficiently nowadays absolutely yes and yeah looking at the future of the industry what do you think the uh, biggest challenges are are there regulatory challenges technological or operational challenges i guess that depends who you ask but from my perspective, I think what's going to change things for everybody in the industry will be what happens in terms of regulation and the regulatory landscape. As we've been talking earlier on in this conversation, I mean, there are movements underway globally from the US, South America, Europe, Asia. Things are changing all the time. You know, the, the kind of regulatory models that these countries and states adopt will have a big impact on the industry. I mean, essentially, a market is regulated to, to solve two problems really uh answer two questions it's to protect consumers and mm -hmm. to, to raise taxes really so it's about getting that balance right between social responsibility and, and commercial viability that regulators need to strike and if you get that balance wrong you know you can have negative consequences that you might not have foreseen before so it's yes. a delicate balancing act and uh, yeah one small line in regulation you never know what kind of impact it's going to have on not just on operators but on consumers as well so yeah, we're going to be monitoring things closely and it can be much like the IBA as well. We're, we're always talking not just to existing regulators who've already got a model. We're talking to markets who are looking to regulate and how that we can we can advise them. You know, we've, we've seen regulation um, across the globe already and we can share some of our learnings. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, going back to what you were talking about earlier on the offer and the fact that table tennis became all of a sudden a very uh, popular sport to bet on just because it was one of the few that it was still on. I've heard experts saying that in any case, table tennis is um, here to remain and that they believe that the fame that the sport acquired in the past months will continue. Do you agree with this analysis? Do you think table tennis will continue to remain popular despite the, the more popular games are back? Uh, yeah, I'd sadly have to challenge that one, I think. Yeah, it definitely served its purpose uh, when there wasn't much else around. But I mean, this conversation's taken place in mid-September 2020. And uh, we just this weekend had the Premier League soccer back uh, in Europe, the NFL back in the US uh, and you can definitely see the engagement levels have, have really changed and, and even though table tennis was interesting for a while I think yeah people were waiting for the big sports to come back you know they want to see the big US sports the big European sports things like Formula One back on on schedules that's what's going to be on on TV that's what drives engagement you know certain niche sports may have, have found new followings uh, you know obviously esports benefited from this situation I'd say as well because obviously a lot of that is played from home so it didn't need to have people uh, getting together on a like like a football match does 
So esports, I think, had a, an interesting run during during the COVID situation. But I think that even sports like that, I mean, they can't compete, not right now anyway, with the major sports. That's what people want to watch. And what people want to watch is what they want to bet on. Right. So all the fans were just waiting for the big sports to be back. I, I would um, guess so. I, I certainly was. <laughs> so if you were to bet, in what would you bet on how the next months will evolve for the industry? Yeah, so you might, might not place a bet, but I've definitely got, got an opinion, I'd say. I mean, it's, it's, it's still early days, really, in terms of, you know, are we, are we fully back? I mean, we've, so we've got some of the major sports back, but you never quite know. It could just, uh, it could all go back to a, a, a lockdown situation in certain countries. I think one thing we'll, we'll probably hopefully avoid, I would imagine, would be, would be a global lockdown. I can't see it happening again that, you know, pretty much the entire globe gets taken, gets taken out by this and all sports globally have to end. I think obviously lots of sports, I mean, such as you've seen Formula One in particular, is, is it probably a good example? They've been up and running for a while now. They've got really strong controls in place in terms of testing, distancing, wearing masks, and, and they've managed to keep a pretty complex global sport on, on the road. And hopefully that those kind of learning can be adopted into you know US sports, soccer, so that we can keep things up and running, even though I mean as we're talking right now, certain countries are going back into into lockdown scenarios from a, a social perspective. Fingers crossed we can keep sports going. I mean I'd say not just from obviously from a from a bookmaking perspective, but I think from a societal perspective as well. I mean it's even if you've got to be stuck at home, it's great to be watching some of the sports just to just to keep your morale up as well. So fingers crossed that's something we can we can keep going. But I'd never say never. We've got to keep a close eye on it and make sure we all do our bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think most of our listeners will agree that hopefully uh, the situation will not go back as, as we saw at the beginning of the year and hopefully sport will also remain. Well, Oliver, is there any one last comment that you would like to leave uh, with our listeners on why integrity will continue to be key in the coming months? Yeah, I'd say it's obviously not just about doing you know, the right thing in terms of regulation and, and, and putting the right things in place. I think it's for any business. I mean, integrity should be their core. So I think that as long as you know you can keep your eye on this, do your piece, I, I think it'll, it'll, it'll do well for the business. So definitely just go, I'd say keep up the good work. I think a lot of operators seem to be doing the right things in this situation. They're not trying to kind of scrape the barrel and offer offer as much as they possibly can. And that's what Canby's approach is. It's around maintaining the quality of your offering even if there's not too much out there to bet on. So I'd say definitely what we've learned over this situation, then, then keep applying it, definitely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Oliver, for your useful insights. I think there is a lot of food for thoughts in your words. And I would like to thank also our audience who have been supporting um, the Ask the Operated podcast. We uh, actually just hit the uh, 1,000 downloads. So thanks very much for following us and for um, your support. And I invite you to follow us if you're not already doing on the main streaming platforms like Spotify, like uh, Apple Podcast, Deezer. And you can uh, also follow us on our social media on Twitter and LinkedIn to stay updated uh, with the new episodes. There will be more to come. So stay tuned. Thanks a lot, Oliver, for being with us today. Thanks, Sylvia. Good talking. Take care. Thank you and bye-bye.